Hi, welcome back to another episode of Real World Serverless, a podcast where I speak with real world practitioners and get their stories from the trenches. Today, I'm joined by Sam Williams, who is a serverless consultant and a teacher as well, and someone who's been uh, doing really good uh, YouTube videos that I've really enjoyed myself. Hey, Sam. Hi, Jan. So th- thanks for introducing me. Yeah, so uh, we've uh, interacted, I guess, online quite a few times, and I guess that we've met in person at the, the London Community Edipus Community Day in London. Yeah, that was uh, the first time we met, probably six months ago now. Yeah, that was a while back. It's really good to finally see you in person. Uh, you know, when you see someone online for a long time and uh, you just never met them in, uh, in person, uh, it's always good to finally you know, put a face to the person that uh, you've been there sort of talking to for a while. Um, so yeah, I've noticed that uh, you finished your course, uh, which uh, I definitely want to talk about uh, a bit later. But I guess uh, before we get into that, uh, can you maybe give us a quick introduction to you know, who you are, what you've been doing, and uh, your journey into serverless? Yeah, of course. So I've been using serverless and AWS basically 100% for the last five, about five and a half years now. Um, I started when I got a mid-level developer job at a small startup. And I'd never used AWS, never used serverless, but they were 100% serverless. So I went through that experience of, okay, I need to learn serverless fast so I can actually become a useful member of this team at this startup. And yeah, I found that one of the challenges when you're first starting is that, especially at the time, it's getting a bit better, but the quality of tutorials and of articles out there, especially around serverless, isn't that great. So I started a YouTube channel soon after that, basically just documenting, here are the things that I'm learning and here's how I would learn it if I was starting again for people that are getting into serverless. That kind of grew into a YouTube channel where I've now got, I think, 12,500 subscribers and I just teach people how to use serverless, how to make the most of it, and ways to get practical experience with it. That kind of accidentally fell into some companies and startups saying, we love your videos. Uh, can we hire you for a day or a couple of days to come in and help us build something? So I did a couple of those and eventually it ended up actually becoming to the point where I was earning the same doing these like consulting jobs as I was in my full-time job. So at that time, I just decided to go go for it and become a full-time consultant slash YouTuber. And from there, it's kind of grown. Um, I tend to work with startups who are usually relatively early stage, but looking to really use serverless to remove a lot of the blockers and a lot of the management overhead that comes with building an application normally on AWS. And yeah, so the past two years, I've worked with about 10 different startups around the world, just helping them either choose the direction of how they're going to use serverless or getting into the nitty gritty of, okay, here's a specific feature. How do we best implement that with serverless? Yeah, I think uh, if you're a startup uh, and you're building on AWS, uh, it just doesn't make sense for you to do anything than serverless, considering that, you know, the cost of containers uh, is so much more operations work and uh, probably have to hire some specialist uh, just to look after your container environment. And I think uh, one of the first, my 
you know, first experience with serverless, we had um, like a three people uh, ops team that's mostly just doing a lot of the sort of network configurations, the setting up uh, you know, containers, uh, also scaling parameters, all of that other you know, that, those sort of stuff, uh, which. You know, once we move pretty much entirely to serverless, uh, we will actually transition those uh, uh, those people either into the development team or into other functions within the company, so they don't have to do anything around the infrastructure anymore. The so little ops work that you know us four or five uh, backend devs uh, we can just absorb all of those additional overhead that comes with uh, serverless in terms of operations. But you know, you just don't need those specialists anymore. And I think uh, for a startup where you don't have uh, really complicated uh, uh, security requirements around VPC and networking and all of this other stuff, uh, it just doesn't make sense for you not to do serverless anymore. So do you, do you see many people in this sort of startup world uh, still sort of thinking about containers and uh, need a bit of a nudge to go into serverless and go into the right direction? I definitely do. So I think one of the reasons that a lot of companies and a lot of startups still use containers and still use that kind of more traditional architecture is that that's what the founders know. And for them, like especially if they are technical founders, they build, it, they build the proof of concept themselves using what they know and then go, okay, now we need to grow this and therefore just stick with what they're using. And whilst it's great to do basically a proof of concept as quickly as you can with what you know, as soon as you start getting a team, as soon as you're starting to build out your real product, I think you really need to look at serverless as an option. Like every startup should at least have an informed decision about is serverless going to make our operations and make our development faster? Because yeah, it, everyone says, oh, serverless is more expensive. And the the physical resources may be slightly more expensive than if you'd run it in your own EC2. But the fact that, yeah, as you say, you can save three jobs worth of people not having a dedicated operations team. You can also develop features faster and basically allows it allows you to iterate much quicker. So I think the true cost of ownership is something that a lot of startups don't really understand or don't really appreciate the benefits with serverless. Yeah, I think that uh, that's what does like total understanding total cost of ownership is uh, always a difficult conversation uh, because as individual developers, that's not something that you really think about. You you kind of value developer experience a lot higher than the than thinking abstractly about you know your own you know, salaries and the time you spend on doing operations versus actually working on features. Uh, and CTOs and financial, um, I guess, advisors, they probably, or, or finance uh, operators, um, was it the uh, chief financial operator? You know, they're probably not very good in terms of thinking about the technical side of things uh, either. Um, so, you know, you need someone who understands both the finance side of things as well as the technical side of things to really sort of kind of appreciate some of the total cost of ownership implications that the serverless has. But I definitely think that in terms of, uh, at least certainly in terms of a uh, startup, uh, having something that, you know, you build it and you kind of know that it's going to be more or less production ready in terms of being reliable, having redundancies and having that scalability. Uh, we don't have to spend another week or two weeks just trying to productionize your application once you've got it working on your machine, which I think that's the, the thing that people don't really think about that, you know, oh, it works on my machine, but then the, 
when it goes into production, you, you can't just run like one container or one EC2 instance. You have to think about redundancy and suddenly your cost, the things that you're thinking about, oh, serverless is more expensive, doesn't seem that expensive anymore when you have to basically you know, multiply the number of EC2 instances you have by two or three, depending on how many AZs you want to operate in and uh, you know, having that the scalability to have uh, some buffer so that you don't scale when the when everyone is having really bad the latency already, you have a skill ahead of time. So suddenly you're thinking about, okay, I have to have some buffer and all this additional capacity just so that I have got the, you know, uh, the, the, the buffer to absorb some spikes in latency uh, in, in traffic. Suddenly it doesn't look so you know, clear cut that serverless is more expensive than the containers. Yeah, definitely. And if it does take those two weeks longer, then that's two weeks you're spending on wages as well. So if a developer costs for example, a thousand pounds a week, uh, and you've got five developers, that the fact that you are basically delaying the launch of that feature by two weeks is costing you basically 10 grand. That's a lot of Lambda. You could pay for a hell of a lot of Lambda with the, those extra two weeks of savings. Yeah, and I think especially for startups uh, where everything is coming from one budget, uh, it's really kind of hard to to fathom that someone would think you know, using containers and doing all this extra work is worth the while. And I've seen in enterprises where this may be slightly different just because uh, your headcount is coming from a different budget to your AWS uh, budget. So it's just, uh, sometimes it's easier for like a team lead or manager to justify hiring two people and to spend, I don't know, um, 100K to, uh, on, on salary versus uh, spending an extra two grand on the AWS uh, for using Lambda versus running containers. Yeah, I think enterprise is always a little bit different. Plus, there's always the, the eventually you do get to the scale where actually hiring a team of three operations, like developers or operations engineers, and saving on the serverless cost can become theoretically valuable. Um, but I think at that point, you, yeah, you need to be at the like hundreds of thousands of AWS dollar bill a month to, to, to even consider that being a, a valuable switch to make. Yeah, and the funny thing is that a lot of the enterprises, uh, they don't really have that many high throughput applications where you would be significantly more expensive to run on the on, on serverless compared to containers. A lot of them has uh, got really, you know, complicated uh, requirements in terms of security and all that but the actual applications that they build they are often you know, not that high not very high throughput um, so I guess I want to use in that case a pivot slightly and just uh, you know, find out a bit more about some of the common challenges some of the common trends you've seen in your work as a consultant what are some of the biggest things that people struggle with so the first thing that I always do with a client is make sure that they are on multiple AWS accounts there are a lot of startups who have their dev, their testing, and their production environments all in a single AWS account, which is okay when you've got one or two developers. But if you're starting to grow a team, then you want to be able to isolate your production environment for security, for ease of control, um, and also just making sure that nothing you, you deploy in dev ever interacts with what you're doing in your production account. So that's just kind of a quick win we can always implement. And then from there, it depends on like the technical technical requirements of uh, what they're trying to build. But what I do find is that there are probably 
six or seven like architecture patterns that I can usually get 80% of the architecture for a feature from one of those seven patterns. Anything from as simple as just API gateway, Lambda going to Dynamo, and that Dynamo having a certain set of keys, whether it's single table design or not, all the way up to just like having an event bridge template where there is something streaming from Dynamo going into event bridge and then being processed on the back of that. So having those templates and being able to get started and get 80 or get 80% of the way there is a really useful thing. Okay, so I guess the, that seven patterns that you identified, uh, that is, is that the inspiration for uh, your course, uh, which basically takes people to build seven different kind of applications uh, using serverless technologies? So they are relatively similar, but they're not, they're not exactly the same. So the course is designed basically to take someone from having little or even no AWS experience to building event-driven applications all in serverless. So the first couple of projects are kind of a real introduction to serverless. It's building an API that can then call multiple other APIs and then combine the data. This probably isn't, wouldn't be large enough to call like a serverless architecture pattern, but it is something that I've had to do quite a few times as a developer and as a consultant where it could be you need to call two different uh, delivery APIs for your like order shipping and you want to return some combined data. So even the first project that we build in the course is based around things that you are likely to do as a developer in a real serverless environment. And then they get basically increasingly complex and increasingly advanced as you add Dynamo streams or you add WebSockets, Cognito for authentication. But instead of just going, here is a massive architecture build, this is your first ever project, I try and introduce it where each project is kind of building on top of what you've learned in the previous projects whilst adding something new. And I think that reinforcement of what you've learned before is really good. I see a lot of projects where there's like three projects and when you've finished the first project, the second project uses nothing. There's no reusable knowledge. And I find that 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 means that you don't practice what you're learning, which means it's harder to retain it in the long term. Yeah, I definitely find that as well. And I also find that uh, a lot of times uh, students uh, don't finish the whole thing or they watch a video and then they forget some of the really important uh, messages that you try to convey there, despite all my best efforts to highlight things, make them really big or just you know, really call out certain things. But I think uh, you know, this retention is a really common problem when it comes to learning. And I guess, you know, we've all been in the classrooms, we've all forgotten things that teachers have told us uh, very um, very clearly that uh, this, you know, this is how it works. And some, sometimes you remember the wrong thing. Someone says, uh, you shouldn't do this, but that's the only thing you take away is, oh, this thing, <laughs> let's do that. 
I guess uh, uh, one question, I guess in that case, uh, I would like to ask is, uh, you know, what are some of the advice that you have for students uh, in terms of you know, what sort of courses they should take? Because uh, there's obviously a lot of uh, getting started, the Hello World tutorials out there for serverless. And I think there is you know, a distinct lack of uh, courses that take you through a whole project end to end because you know as someone who's new you kind of need a bit more i guess when you're learning something new and you know nothing nothing about it it's more or less a case of monkey see monkey do and you want someone to show you the ropes now all the ways from just writing your first function to deployment to you know testing to all these different things you're gonna have to think about at some point rather than you know just show you the basics and then leave you to learn from different articles, different places, different authors who have different philosophies, different ideas, and you now force you to kind of come up with um, a way to unify all these different disparate pieces of information you, co you collected into a cohesive strategy of how you would develop server, uh, serverless applications. So I think, uh, you know, in terms of uh, students, what are your, your advice for how best to choose the right course for themselves, but also what to do to make the most of these courses? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. So I think the first thing is, if you are completely new to AWS and completely new to serverless, there is nothing wrong with doing your first ever Hello World tutorial. Uh, some free, free video or free article, that's fine. But I think if you then go, okay, I do want to become a really good developer, that's when it's worth investing the time and the money in a proper course that is going to be consistent through how it teaches you and consistent through its approach. Like AWS, I think you recently posted about AWS being really open and not being very opinionated in how you do things and the challenge with not being very opinionated is lots of people can do the same thing in different ways and trying to learn by piecing together tutorials as you just said you've got to try and figure out how to make those two things work together with a course that is from one creator or one teacher where it takes you from end to end that means you're going to have a consistent opinion. And when you're first learning, you want to learn one opinion. Once you've completed that course, you can learn other opinions and adjust how you do things. But to start with, learn how to do it one way and then move on and like become good at using that methodology without adding extra confusion with lots of different ideologies. In terms of making the most, I see a lot of a lot of uh, students and a lot of people who are learning serverless who will take a course and will just sit there and watch the videos, especially if it is a like an in-depth in coding related tutorial. I would 100% recommend having your video on one screen and ideally like your code editor on another and actually write the code as you're going along, partly because you'll actually you'll get used to the fact that you're importing things from files you'll get used to how basically how your your developer environment works whether it's vs code or something else but also eventually you'll do a typo you'll make a mistake you'll do something slightly wrong and actually that bug fixing process of my code isn't running the way it's meant to how do i figure out what's gone wrong that I think is a really important part, which you miss out on if you just watch the videos. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's been a lot of research that shows that uh, um, taking part, well, taking an active part and actually doing stuff yourself, uh, you know, you're learning also muscle memories and also other so mechanisms start to kick in. That means that you are much more likely to remember something uh, because uh, memory is not just about visual. It's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's from different all kinds of sensories. Your, you know, the smell, the, well, we can't produce smell from cold, but, uh, you know, in terms of the environment you're in, in that moment in time, they all help in terms of uh, you remembering something. Uh, so that's definitely, definitely something that I think uh, more and more people should be doing in terms of, you know, actually following along the code examples when people are, you know, when you're watching a video and they're just going you know, to type along. And I guess in that case, um, you know, once they've completed your, uh, your course and uh, they've learned the basics, where would you say, you know, how do you then continue to learn after that? Because, you know, obviously we can't teach everybody everything all at once in a single course. Um, so where are some of the places you would go to say, okay, I want to further my learning now that I've taken Sam's course, I've got the basics down. So you want to learn specific topics, uh, where would you suggest people go? So I think the first thing I would suggest after completing any course is to try and replicate it yourself in a slightly different version. So, for example, in your course, the uh, AppSync Masterclass, I would try and build some other application that uses AppSync, uses all of the direct uh, DynamoDB connectors, uses all of the things that you're learning inside that course. Because without actually following along, you're, at, you're reinforcing that learning. And you'll, you'll also come across slightly different challenges and you'll, think, you'll have to think a lot more about how you want the application to work instead of just copying the code. So I think that, that that is one of the things that I think everyone should do when they complete a course to, to further ingrain that. You can still look back at the, the original course and go, oh, I can't remember this one bit. I'm going to go and look and see how Jan did it in that bit or how Sam did the, I don't know, Dynamo streaming a bit. I can't remember that. Let's just check that again. But yeah, having the ability to reinforce that with it, with your own project that uses all of the things you've learned is really important. Yeah, that's a really good call. Uh, again, no, there's nothing better than to get your hands dirty when it comes to learning and absorbing knowledge. And actually, uh, speaking about that, I uh, actually had a few, uh, a couple of students who's uh, told me uh, that uh, they've uh, you know, took my course and uh, AppSync Masterclass, and then they went on to build a, an app and they launched the app pretty much using a lot of the self, same idea, the same sort of approach that I've shown, uh, I've shown them uh, in, uh, in the course. And along the way, they, they had to figure out, okay, how do I do this uh, thing that's slightly different from uh, you know, how Jens done it? And uh, you know, from the question they've asked, uh, they've come up with some really interesting solutions themselves. Uh, or you know, they, are, you know, they get stuck, they can still you know, come back to me and ask me on the forum or or just reach out to me on the on social media, which I'm sure you get a lot of comments and questions uh, via uh, your YouTube uh, videos as well. That okay, Sam, this is great, and I love this, but then the, I've got slightly different requirements. How do I go about doing this? Yeah, definitely. That's that's something I do spend quite a lot of a lot of my week doing is replying to LinkedIn messages or replying to like comments on YouTube where people are like, oh, this is great. And how do you do it slightly differently? Um, and I think a lot of the time, so some of the questions are people ask an expert instead of trying to figure it out themselves first. I think if you do get to this situation and you are stuck, uh, 
The best thing is try and figure it out yourself. Do some Googling, because yeah, Googling is a superpower as a developer. If you're really good at Googling, then you'll do a lot better. And try and work it out. If, if you get to the point where you've spent some time trying to figure it out, then go and talk to a, an expert and say, this is the problem I'm having. This is what I've tried. It's still not working. How, how do I improve it? And I think as, a, as a, a creator, like if someone comes to me with that, it shows that they have done the work. They've tried to solve it themselves instead of someone going, oh, how do you set up a Dynamo table with a GSI? And you can just literally Google exactly what they've said and the first result is exactly what they need. I think, yeah, doing doing the bit of the uh, the work yourself is going to help you get a better response from the experts as well. I've definitely had lots of questions where exactly that I'll just search or I'll show them. You just Google this and you'll find what you're looking for. Um, but sometimes you know, people just feel lost and I can't understand that they want to reach out to someone that uh, they kind of feel um, you know, some connection to because they've been watching your videos or they've been uh, you know, taking your course. But, but yeah, there's a lot of things you could find Google on, uh, on Google these days. But there's always a danger that uh, you may not find you know, a good, uh, the right answer because, again, you know, the internet is full of different opinions and uh, approaches that uh, it's sometimes hard to tell it, uh, uh, what's the right approach. And I guess, uh, Sam, and now that you've uh, wrapped up the course, uh, what's next for you? What's your next uh, project? What are you thinking about doing next? So I'm actually involved in a YouTube like growth program. So I'm meeting up with, I'm on an intensive course with a load of other YouTubers from a range of different topics, not just software development, and trying to work out how to make videos that are as educational and also as helpful to as many people as possible. So the videos are going to change slightly. They're maybe, they're going to vary in technical length and technical depth, but I think hopefully this will get more people involved in AWS and involved in serverless. So yeah, that's what I'm going to be focusing on until the end of the year. And then next year, I'm not quite sure yet. Uh, There's a couple of ideas floating around for possible future courses or possibly even running this current course as a cohort. But yeah, those are all uh, ideas that I need need to consider. I definitely think it's uh, worth uh, turning the video course, uh, especially after some time, um, once the content maybe is slightly out of date into some more like live kind of based learning. Uh, that's one of my experience with um, you know, the production radio serverless. I did a video course for Manning, was it now five years ago? Um, and uh, what you quickly find is that, uh, well, something's changed. Even small cha- small details can change. And then the code that you show them doesn't work exactly as it, as, as it was. Um, and uh, if you want to change that one tiny bit, you have to basically re-record everything because that may, that may be lesson one and then the, that is used in lesson two and three and so on and so forth. So it's really difficult to change um, uh, videos, especially for you know, the ones that you are showing them hands-on how to write code from start to, uh, to finish. Uh, it's really difficult to maintain that. So once you've got the basic concept um, sort of locked down by producing the video, you know what sort of things people want to learn, what sort of how to teach them, uh, turning that into a more of a cohort-based learning um, 
makes it a lot easier for you to just continue to update it, especially around this time. You know, reinvent just around the corner. Uh, I'm pretty sure like half of the the things I've got I've got out there are going to be outdated by the time reinvent finishes. So you know, if you have to really call everything every year, then the, I'm never going to do anything new. <laughs> so being able to you know having something that's easier to update and maintain and uh, and iterate, uh, it's going to be a lot easier for both yourself and also for uh, learners that want to learn the, the what's the latest the thing that you want to say sam uh, versus the the advice you gave you know, last year which has been completely outdated by some new announcement they made at reinvent yeah i completely agree about that that's one of the things i'm finding with youtube now is that basically a lot or almost all of my earlier videos are using the serverless framework version 2 and now the serverless framework version 3 is out and there's loads of people who are like oh i've tried running this and it doesn't work or this field is invalid or something. And yeah, it's definitely a challenge that that we've got to, but that's kind of the thing with, with software and with tech is that it changes so quickly, especially serverless. And I think kind of it's a double-edged sword. It's really, it's frustrating when code you wrote six months ago, you can't just copy and paste into a new project, but also it means that because the knowledge is changing so quickly, if you as a new developer can get up to speed with what is valid now, then you're very quickly going to be at the same kind of technical technological level as someone who's been using it for three or four or five years. So it's a serverless is a great opportunity for new and junior developers to really accelerate their way up the uh, up the career ladder. That is a really, really good point. I'm really glad that you mentioned that uh, because, again, I mean, personally, I've gone through, you know, AWS uh, from running EC2 instances uh, to containers and to serverless. And I have to say, you know, the amount of things you have to learn about uh, low-level networking to make it work on AWS, uh, you know, almost takes the entire degree to 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 understand all the different different knobs you have in terms of how you can configure VPC security assets, you know, how it interacts with other, you know, ACL settings and other different security groups and all these different things. Uh, you can pretty much uh, ignore all of that if you're just building fully serverless and you're building APIs, you're building other things. I mean, you still have to learn CloudFormation and IAM, but those are much easier to learn than to, you know, learn and try to debug uh, network issues uh, and, and uh, how to manage and patch these uh, EC2 instances, machine images, which are all things that people have to spend many, many years to try to master and do a decent job of. And now you can kind of just sidestep a lot of that and get to the really good stuff, but still get a benefit of somebody else who's dedicated their lives into you know, making sure you've got this infrastructure that is scalable, that's secure, that's reliable. So I think absolutely, if you're a developer, you're especially a junior developer, totally agree with what you said that you can just go very far, very, very quickly uh, by using serverless technologies and get to the point where you are very productive uh, compared to your colleagues. Uh, but you know, without having to know a lot of the things that um, they've spent years trying to learn and now have been deprecated. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Sam, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today and uh, I wish you best of luck uh, with the YouTube growth uh, pro uh, program and look forward to the, the changes that you're going to be doing on your videos and I, I hope to see you use your wonderful light board a bit more in future videos. I thought that was really good. Yeah, thank you very much and definitely will be seeing a lot more of that over the, uh, over the next year because it's really good fun to play with as well and I think being able to 
discuss architecture and discuss those kind of the thought process behind architecture whilst drawing it in a really cool and interesting way is is something that you don't see out there very much like a lot of the the AWS tutorials are just like things on a whiteboard and just the fact that you have to turn your back on the audience every time you want to draw something i think having that being able to look at someone and then look at the architecture is a really nice and novel way of uh, doing it uh, if you don't know what we're what we're talking about here, so Sam basically built his own the light board, a uh, really big light board, and he, he did a video which I'm gonna link in the show notes below, uh, so you can check it out. And yeah, it's uh, it it makes us uh, you know drawing on architecture and the whiteboards a very different experience for you as a viewer of these videos. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think the the cost of the building those uh, light boards is uh, is fairly cheap. But if you want to buy one yourself, they're really expensive, and that's probably why you don't see many of them around, uh, at least not on the YouTube videos. Uh, so yeah, good no, uh, good job there, Sam, making a building that yourself, and uh, best of luck uh, going forward. Thank you very much, and I just want to say as well, um, if anyone is interested in the course, then uh, I'm sure Jan can put a link to that below. And for, for your listeners, I can give you uh, a discount code so that uh, you guys can get a little bit off the, uh, off the full price. So that'll help you if you are interested in getting into serverless development. Perfect. I will link the course as well as the discount code uh, in the show notes as well so that uh, you guys can have access to that. Again, thank you so much, Sam, and uh, wish you a bit of luck and hope to catch you in person next year. Yeah, definitely. Have a great day, Jan. You too. Cheers, mate. So that's it for another episode of Real World Serverless. To access the show notes, please go to realworldserverless.com. If you want to learn how to build production-ready serverless applications, please check out my upcoming courses at productionreadyserverless.com. And I'll see you guys next time.